0: Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. So much of living a true and joyful spiritual life comes in what happens when you watch your attitude. That's the subject of today's message, which continues our current sermon series on resolutions of the spiritual life and it's based on Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and it begins with some thoughts on attitude, both good and bad. Well, I should begin here this morning by making a confession. I have to confess to you that the moment I sat down this morning to start putting this sermon together the very next sentence that I'm about to say to you immediately brought me back to a time when my children were much younger than they are now. I want to have a talk with you this morning about your attitude. (laughs) Believe me, friends, I know how that sounds. Granted, like most parents, I did have that conversation with my children uh, from time to time back in the day when the boys, especially when they were teenagers, and even though she's here, with my daughter, actually, when she was about five years old and imitating an obnoxious character from a cartoon show, Angelica from Rugrats, as I recall. I don't want to give the impression, however, I'm not trying to embarrass Sarah, not on purpose anyway. I also don't want to give the impression that I'm giving you that kind of a lecture, because really, I'm not. And besides, I don't want any of you to be rolling your eyes at me the way my kids used to do way back when. (laughs) That understood, though. I really would like to have a talk with you this morning about our attitude, because certainly attitude is a crucial issue for every one of us, most especially as adults. And moreover, because attitude plays into just about every aspect of our lives. Health care workers, for instance, will tell us again and again that whether we're dealing with something as serious as a catastrophic illness or recovering from surgery or whether it's something relatively simple as trying to adopt a healthier lifestyle, having a poor attitude about that can only make a difficult situation that much worse. While a more positive attitude might contribute mightily to faster healing and making things better overall. And you know what? We're not just talking about physical health either. Good attitude cannot help but have a positive effect on your day, on your week. It can increase your work productivity. It improves the family atmosphere and the state of your relationship with others. In other words, we need to have a good attitude. By the same token, we should also say that having a negative gloom and doom attitude has a way of becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, does it not? In other words, if you expect the worst in things, if you expect the worst in people, that's pretty much what you're going to get. Simply put, a proper attitude is of utmost importance. Chuck Swindoll actually expresses this very well. He says that, quote, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude, he says, is more important than the past, more important than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, or than what other people think or say that I do. We cannot change the past, Swindoll goes on to say. We cannot change the fact that people are going to act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have. I like that. Play on the one string that we have. And that, yes, is our attitude. I am convinced, Swindoll concludes, that life is 10% of what happens to me, and 90% of how I react to it. I really do love that quote. And believe me, friends, when I say to you that this is especially true as it applies to the spiritual life. For you see, there are a whole lot of spiritual people out there who seem to be far more negative in their attitudes than positive. These are people, ostensibly people of faith mind you, who are more about what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with people than looking at what's right. Who are more willing to talk about everything they're against, everything they don't approve of, than what it is and who it is that they truly stand for. Whose very words and actions just somehow seem to betray that which they are coming to sing about every Sunday morning at church. Truth be told, I think there's a real cynicism that can be seen in a good many Christians today. Now, there's a bunch of reasons this could be. I I don't know if it's world weariness, the byproduct of all the conflict, the divisive rhetoric that surrounds us constantly these days, to say nothing of nearly two long years now having to deal with COVID-19. Or... Maybe it's about the kind of worldly culture we have that has long sought to pull us away from Christianity and just seems to be working overtime today. Or maybe it's just what happens when you begin to feel like you have been living your life in some constant state of fear and anxiety. Whatever it is, there are those who have let themselves get so caught up in an attitude of negativity that I have to wonder if they can even hear what Paul proclaimed in our text for this morning that Myron just read to us. I wonder if they can hear it, much less receive it. Rejoice, Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in fact, just to make sure he's perfectly clear, again, I will say, rejoice. Now, that particular verse from Philippians stands among the most upbeat, positive affirmations in the epistles of not all of Scripture, and there are many. It is certainly one of those passages that are very familiar to our ears. It's also, by the way, one of those verses that's pointed to by those who would make the claim that faith in general and the Bible in particular have no basis in reality. They'll look at that and they'll tell you, "Oh, no, nobody's like that. No world is like that." But I would suggest to you that that kind of an attitude there's that word again represents a major misunderstanding of Scripture, a major misunderstanding of this passage, and our proof comes from Paul himself. Here's some backstory on this letter to the Philippians. By the time he actually wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, Paul had been in prison, probably in Rome, and in miserable conditions for upwards of two years. And, by the way, quite literally shackled to an endless series of palace guards from the Roman government, waiting, I'll put that in quotation marks too, waiting for a trial date to come, waiting to stand trial before Nero. In fact, here's a not so fun fact. Such was the cruelty of this imprisonment that the Romans would change guards every four hours so that no God could ever begin to sympathize with Paul and perhaps be inclined to show him mercy. We're not going to give Paul a chance to talk about Jesus or to talk about the church or talk about faith. We're gonna just switch out those guards every four hours. So, here's Paul then, facing a dismal future that would almost certainly include his execution at the hands of Nero himself. And yet, still, still, Paul is able to say, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And what's more, he's able to say to these Philippian Christians, and to you and me, you, you, Also rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Or as the message translates this, don't fret, don't worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful, Paul concludes, what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It seems incredible to me that Paul could even begin to maintain such a positive attitude, to be able to rejoice in all that he was suffering But in the end, you see, with Paul, it was not a shallow idealism that was guiding him. What was moving him forward was optimism fueled by his relationship with God in Jesus Christ. Of course, that said, we need to understand here that there is a huge difference between idealism on the one hand and optimism on the other. Let's unpack that. To be filled with idealism is to live unto the notion that everything is wonderful in life, that things are always going to go well, that nothing at all can ever truly go wrong. You know, it's like from Candide, I think, all's for the best in the best of all possible worlds. Now, don't get me wrong here. Idealism is fine to a certain extent, It's idealism that inspires hopes and dreams. It is idealism that moves people to higher vistas in their lives. But ultimately, you see, friends, idealism can often be unrealistic, given the world as it is. The truth is, is that those who live wholly unto idealism and who carry on as though everything is always sweetness and light, are bound to come crashing down to life's hard realities. And they cannot help but do damage to their own spiritual life. The theologian Reinhold Niebuhr said this very well. Idealism is a greater threat to faith, he wrote, than even despair. And it's no coincidence, then, that some of the most negative people you'll ever meet in this life are basically burned out Idealists. Optimism, however, is something different. Optimism, at least as it is understood biblically, is ultimate hope. An optimist, you see, knows that life is going to be rough. An optimist understands that stuff can be bad and that sometimes we're going to get hurt along the way. But he also knows that good things can and will come through in the end. A good analogy maybe is to say that an optimist is something like a marathon runner. He or she knows that the race is gonna be hard, that running may well tax every bit of residual strength they have, and wait, <laughs> wait, just when you think the race is over, Heartbreak Hill is dead ahead. But here's the thing, the optimist attitude about that, yeah, it's gonna hurt, yeah, I'm gonna be exhausted, But I am going to win this race. By the same token, biblical optimism is an attitude of accepting difficulty, but expecting victory. It is to be looking for God's hand at work in every situation, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And to know in your heart of hearts that God's strength and hope will pervade any suffering. And any struggle we face, it is to live expectantly unto what God will be doing in and through our lives. It is to purposely live with a positive attitude in a negative world, to face the day with the kind of confidence that comes in knowing that whatever else comes down in this life, we will be able to find the wherewithal to do as Christ himself inspires and lead. And that includes rejoicing in the darkness of a prison cell. And no, let's be clear, let's not get too far down the road of idealism. In times such as these, to be optimistic is neither automatic nor is it an easy process. But it's within such a positive spiritual stance that we are able to truly embrace the kind of unending hope and redeeming joy that each one of us so longs for in this life. René Schleffler, very gifted uh, preacher and communicator, pastor of a church out in California. I had a pleasure of working with him in a preaching workshop some years ago. He makes the point that while many in the world view positive people as naive or shallow, as someone has said, though, cynicism is just intellectual laziness. It doesn't take any character to be negative. It doesn't take creativity to be negative about the things you see. It doesn't take any steep spiritual maturity to be upset about everything. It takes perspective to be positive. It takes wisdom to be positive. And you have to be spirit-filled to be positive. In other words, it takes work. But in the good news that is ours in Jesus, and in the peace of God that passes all understanding, by grace we are given that which we need to weather any and all storms. We are given what we need to accept and defeat the challenges that come our way so that we might truly be able to and willingly rejoice in the Lord always as we do. Seems to me, friends, that as our spiritual journey continues in this new year that has only just begun, we would want to rejoice in the Lord. We would want our lives to be more than something that is merely endured and trodden through. That we would want to be determined to set aside all the negativity and aim to truly live our lives faithfully with joy and purpose that comes in believing. Let me tell you something, friends. I believe deep in my heart that life, most especially life as a Christian, is to be an exciting and joyous experience. That every moment of it, be that moment joyful or sorrowful, should be filled with dynamic power. Beloved, as believers, you and I are being called to to live lives that are thrilling to behold, exciting to watch, ennobling and kindling, enabling and enthusiastic. Because of faith, who we are and what we do in life ought to have a vibrancy about it that is unmistakable. And let me also say, when we do, it can and it does make a difference in the world. But how that happens... If that happens, in many ways, it comes in the way we watch our attitude. The late Mike Iaconelli, in a wonderful book of his entitled Dangerous Wonder, he writes of how the Christian life can accurately be compared to a roller coaster ride. And not one of the newer roller coasters where they strap you in and they put bars around your shoulders so that nothing can happen, but rather a roller coaster ride of the old school variety, the ones where you sit on a bench and only there's one little skinny metal pipe that saves your life. (laughs) Not unlike, actually, as I think about it, like your average ski lift, but I digress. In other words, Iaconelli says, suddenly you are strapped in to one of these bare bone roller coaster seats and you immediately think, okay, I'm going to die. And then it starts. You go up this long track of a hill, and let's compare it here to spiritual growth. You start that long climb up of the track of spiritual growth, and you think, okay, this is fine, no problem, I can follow Jesus anywhere. And then zoom! (laughs) You crash into the twists and the turns of life. You jerk left, then you hit right, you go up, you go down, and 50 and 60 years go by, and wham, you're dead. <laughs> but, writes Jack if I died right now, even though I would love to live longer, I could say from the very depths of my soul, what a ride. I was reading a book about Mike Iaconelli a couple of years ago. It included some recordings of some of his speeches and talks that he gave over the years. He was a, uh, a very devoted youth resourcer. And the very last speech that he gave to a group of Christian people, he told that story. About three days later, he passed away. Wow. The Christian life, Iaconelli says, is the breathtaking, thrill-filled, bone-rattling ride of a lifetime where every moment matters and all you can do is just hang on for dear life. Most people believe that following Jesus is all about living right, not true. Following Jesus is about living fully. And to live fully, beloved, it means to take the ride. And to do it with joy, with spirit, and optimism along every turn. I think that's what Paul was saying to the Philippians. I think that's what he says to us in this time and place. When he said, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, think about these things. And most importantly, keep doing those things. So be it resolved in this new year that we watch our attitude. So that we never let a negative perspective lead us to lose our true passion for the spiritual life. May our life's faithfulness be of such an attitude. That one day we might be able to look back at it all and be able to say, what a ride that was. What a ride. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Watch Your Attitude, part of our current sermon series that we're calling Resolutions of the Spiritual Life. It was recorded during our January the 23rd service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. And by the way, if you'd like to join us for one of those worship services, they happen every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, in person at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off exit 16 on I-93 in Concord. Or else, you can join us for those services live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page, or else afterward on our East Church YouTube channel. However you do it, we would love to have you be with us. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.